Captain's Log, Stardate 74358.8 We've been made aware of a fascinating discovery aboard the station. My Chief Science Officer, Lieutenant Pollock, has informed the senior staff of spores that may allow us to better understand concepts of space travel otherwise unknown to us. This episode of These Are the Voyages is dedicated to Trek for All. All right. Well, um, welcome everyone to another edition, another adventure, another voyage with us here on the podcast, here on These Are the Voyages. I'm the captain. I'm Captain Chase McKinney, and I am joined by my bebopping boy band best bud eric were there enough b words in there that's what i was going for i mean there's always a few more b words right (laughs) it's a family show eric (laughs) (laughs) so for anyone that's just joining us for the very first time welcome to the show we are a star trek podcast uh, by fans for fans as we talk Whatever it is we want to talk about when it comes to Star Trek and um, the big, gigantic world that it is. And um, this week we are going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery. Uh, We have been doing these things called Engage. Uh, There are um, like a sub show. It's kind of meta in a way, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I just like saying meta. It just makes me sound and feel smart from time to time. Anyway, so on that, we've been going week by week talking about uh what is it the the ongoing adventures of the discovery crew in the current season season three as it's airing on cbs all access and we meant to do this a little bit earlier but you know life happened eric went to a backstreet boys concert and i was being a scholar while he was not and uh, anyway so we're about halfway through star trek discovery um <laughs> off the rails we're halfway through Star Trek Discovery. Actually, we're more than halfway through Star Trek Discovery. And um, anyway, we thought we would kind of just kind of look back on the first two seasons. Now that we're halfway through this uh, third season, and just kind of talk generally about it. Now, before we actually get into the content for today, um, we we have um, we have a question that needs to be answered. Okay. Okay, you ready? This goes for I'm all. Re- I'm ready for it. This, Throw it at me. This is for all the listeners out there. Okay. And sync. Backstreet Boys. O Town, or 98 Degrees. Go. Well, I mean, Backstreet Boys like win that easily for me. <laughs> like I'm still listening to the Backstreet Boys today. Let yeah, alone man. 20 years ago. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. So I've known I've known you, Eric, for about half my life, pretty much. That's a, yeah, that's right. And I can I don't remember the name of the actual station, but I only really ever remember you listening to what was it Banana. 101.5 or something like that like the hard rock station well that was there but i i was listening to classic fox 103.9 mostly okay okay 
Man, okay. So we got, I did not know, and I was today years old when I found out that Eric was a Backstreet Boys fan. Hey, hey, man. Back in like 97, 98, 99. Yeah, man. Like when like 10, 11, 12 years old, you'd go home from school, you'd turn on MTV and TRL would be on. That was like, that was the life right there. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Eric. <laughs> Listen, I'm a terrible singer. You do not want me to sing. <laughs> wow. When I say I want it that way. There we go. Mm, that just makes you just want to like tap your toe and like bob your head like we're doing right now. And go dancing in an airport. Yeah, like with um, was this this? Yeah, this was Millennium, right? Yeah, this was on the Millennium. So, on the same album as Larger Than Life, which was the next single that came out, and man, that music video for Larger Than Life, the where they're in the sci-fi future and they're like the space battle out there. Yeah, man. That was awesome. That was awesome. So I got a I got a funny story. I think it's kind of funny. Uh, maybe a couple of funny stories for for the peanut gallery out there. Um, so I was not allowed to listen to Backstreet Boys growing up. What? Why my, not? My mom just would not let me listen to Backstreet Boys at all. And did she let you listen to NSYNC? Yes. Figure that one out. Okay. <laughs> so I I can I can distinctly remember my very first time like truly listening to Backstreet Boys and I was a Cub Scout okay I, I gotta get my, my Scout reference in somehow I, I was I was in pack 352 in um, Lakeside Texas okay and we went on like our like I think it was our Weeblos trip with like a like the, the Boy Scouts and stuff like that like our it was like an overnight or something I don't remember exactly how it played out but anyways I was a, I was a Cub Scout and we went to this campground. I remember there was like a beach on one end and then there was like like a pavilion like with like a, a pool table and some other stuff. Also, like, a, I don't know what the heck the place was. I don't even know where it was at. I just know I went there. I had to leave early because I got like, so I got overheated and really sick. But it was at this pool table place land that they had the original Backstreet Boys um, album playing like the, like not their first, first one, but you know, like the first mainstream one. And, sure. um, I just, I love that, um, like crazy. And, um, I'm probably, I'm telling on myself on this next one, but, uh, my best friend, Sam, um, him and I, we, we did scouts together growing up. And, uh, when we were probably in, Gosh, fourth grade. I think that was around the time like like third and fourth grade is like really when like that was kind of really going on for us. And Sync came out and it was like their first album and we would put on shows for our moms, like in our living rooms. So like here we go and and like all those other NSYNC songs, like we would just like dance to like that music and put on put on shows for our moms. So 
That's awesome. Totally telling on myself. Totally telling on myself. <laughs> like, I have to say, if you go back and you watch the NSYNC music video for um, uh, I Want You Back, like, the choreography, whoever choreographed that, that music video is a legend. That is some of, like, the greatest dancing you'll ever see. Sure. It is, it is like, crazy ridiculous. And it's like, they're like, just be yourself, but crank it up to 11 and just do some crazy-ass stuff. Yeah. But legendary cinema, like, choreography for that music video. Dude, I miss the sounds of the 90s. Like, hardcore. God, how young does JT sound right there? Gosh, right? I mean, I think JT's like maybe... He was only like 16 or something like that. 16 or 17. Yeah, I mean, and we were like, what... 10, 11, 12, like when this was like really yeah, yeah. A th- becoming a thing. So yeah, like he's like, I was thinking he's like six, seven years older than us, pretty much. But I'll tell you which one, now I'm really going to embarrass myself. I know this is a Star Trek podcast, but we're just having a little fun today, guys. Just just go with it. Just go with we're it. Disco- we're discovering. We are discovering something. So I remember this one. Everyone remembers this one. This is the one where they're like dance, we're running on top of the train, right? Yes, the one where they're puppets. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So this song, um, they this like back in the day when they actually showed you how they made the music video. Oh I, yeah, there was making the video. Yeah, yeah, like on MTV and whatever. But there was also something that came out um, around the same time where. Uh, what was it? They had like the VHS of the making of the video and the music video, I think sold through like McDonald's or Burger King or something like that. And I, I don't know how I got my hands on it, but I ended up getting it. And between this one and another NSYNC song, uh, me and my cousin, Abigail, we went, we went bonkers with this one. Also on the No Strings Attached CD. This is the It's Gonna Be May, right? It's Gonna Be May. May. Yeah. Got that one. This one. This one. And Bye Bye Bye. But I think more this one. I legit knew all the choreography to this song from the music video. And me and my, my baby cousin, we used to put on just like concerts just to like the the recliners basically in the basement so it was just her and i we didn't do it for our parents or my aunts or my uncles or anything like that but yeah man okay i think we've had enough of of boy bands that was was good reminiscing i hope y'all enjoyed that right (laughs) you know listen that was a good trip down nostalgia lane and you know what else is a good trip down nostalgia lane? Discovery. Star Star Trek. Yeah. 
I see how I see what you did there. <laughs> Just bringing it all together. Bringing it all together. Got to bring it all together, yo. <laughs> oh man, oh man, yeah. There's. Um, I will say this: that um, the no strings attached CD, um, uh, along with I think it was. I think it was Millennium. If it wasn't Millennium, it was definitely um, Black and Blue with Backstreet Boys. They were all under the same record, um, record yeah. label. And oh, yeah. um, that was like the Ponzi scheme of the century that happened with them. Um, them and O-Town and um, I don't remember if 98 Degrees was connected to that label or not. But all the boy bands that we uh, know and, and love, at least most of us know and love, um, was um, all under the, the record label um, owned by Lou Pearlman. And there is a fabulous documentary. And um, I think it's called like the boy band uh, scheme or the boy band something. And it's on, it's on YouTube. It's like one of the, the YouTube originals. And Lance Bass, the, one of the members of NSYNC, is the one that directed and produced it. And... Um, anyway, I really, I really enjoyed it. So if you have a YouTube premium account, you should be able to watch it uh, without any any issue. That's the only place I know where it's at. I'm sure you could find it somewhere else by now. It's been out for year, year and a half thereabouts. And um, AJ McLean, uh, one of the Backstreet Boys, he is the he, the Backstreet Boy, as far as I'm concerned. Ooh, okay, okay. Um, he was competing on Dancing with the Stars this year, which my wife and I we do watch Dancing with the Stars and. He was the guy that I was pulling for, and spoilers, he was recently eliminated, so I'm a little heartbroken. I thought he'd have been very good at that, because oh. that's what he does, is he's a dancer. Oh, he was good. He was good. Nelly is on Dancing with the Stars, and he is not so good, but yet he's going to be in the, the finals this coming week. So, anyway, if you want to watch some, some 90s, either a 90s rapper or see the return of AJ McLean in the finals, because the whole cast comes back for the final show... I'd encourage you to check it out. Or if you, by the time you've listened to this, you've probably already checked it out. So it's fine. Whatever works. Um, Eric, let's talk Star Trek. Let's do it. <laughs> we should we should start another podca- podcast called Making the Band. Oh wait, <laughs> oh wait, that was a Lou Pearlman show on how they put together O Town. Oh, O Town. That sounds so dirty. Yeah, it does. And their hit song was called Liquid Dreams. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> what was the what was the dude's name like Ashley Parker Angel? I don't I don't ask. They me bleached that. his hair and then they gave him blue tips. Back in the day, back when like highlights and <laughs> stuff were like frosted really, tips were the thing. Yeah, but it was Bleach, they platinumed it, and then they gave him blue tips. <laughs> you know what else has, has white hair and blue tips? Andorians. See? Star Trek. There we go. Yup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, now that we have that out of the way, um, Star Trek. That's where we're at. So, yeah. Star Trek Discovery... <laughs> Um, is a show is a that show. premiered on CBS All Access in <laughs> September of 2017. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> wow. 
Wow. Okay. So, straight up, I'll just say this. I did not originally watch this, like, right as it aired, um, because September 2017, I was a little busy. Uh, my daughter, daughter my daughter was being born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I think I ended up, and it was on CBS All Access, um, and I yeah. was yeah, like... I believe... I believe the first two episodes actually premiered on CBS, like on one night, like back to back. They did. And then after that, everything was on CBS All Access. Yeah, that was before the F-bombs and like the other, you know, explicit material popped up, basically. So, yeah, I ended up, I think what I ended up doing is I, it was probably closer to maybe Halloween or something like that, that I think I, I finally started watching it because it was CBS All Access, and I'm like, man, I really don't know if I want to pay like five bucks, ten bucks, however much it was for the service and stuff. And I'm like, all right, let's let's do it. And it was it was it was different. So what what maybe what we'll do is we'll just kind of maybe talk generally about storylines. Um, like maybe like an overarching like season one, season two storyline, um, maybe and then from there we'll kind of just talk um, maybe about some things that worked for us, things that didn't work for us, and kind of. Um, it's gonna be a one-sided, one-sided. It, <laughs> when you do the the scales and the balance, that's a very one-sided. Yeah, it's like Picard and Narek, right? Yeah, yeah. There's one that like has a lot of good. <laughs> Not so much on the other. We'll, but we'll just we'll take it we'll take it in stride and we'll just see where it takes us. But um, generally speaking, we'll just talk kind of overarching about season one, season two, not really get in the weeds, um, and kind of maybe just see where it takes us and um, go from there. And maybe we'll sneak in another boy band reference just for for giggles. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I can't believe we started the show talking about boy bands. Hey, you know. It is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is, indeed. Okay. All right. Well, um, okay, so it was September of 2017 that this had aired. Now, kind of backing up a little bit to this, um, this was a show that had been announced, gosh, I want to say like at least a year to year and a half prior um, to, um, to it. And I think that this show was originally slated to premiere in the same year as the uh, the 50th anniversary. So I think it was supposed to originally come out in 2016 to kind of coincide with that celebration. Yeah, yeah. We got the announcement sometime in 2015 that the show had been was going to happen with Brian Fuller as the creator and he was going to be the showrunner. And then creative differences is what they cited and Brian Fuller left and the show went into like development hell for lack of a better term mm -hmm. and it was definitely supposed to premiere um, for the 50th anniversary in 2016 but it ended up getting pushed back till September of 2017 yeah a whole a whole year later essentially yeah so. and and you know nowadays they have the whole season filmed before they before they air anything, but they were still filming the end of season one when the season, when the beginning of it premiered. Like they hadn't had the whole thing done yet, so that tells you that they were there were some problems going on behind the scenes. Right, right, and and 
this was so Discovery um, season one was um, essentially pitched as at least I remember it kind of being pitched as taking place and it did end up doing this it, it ends up taking place 10 years prior to Kirk and and Kirk's adventures on the Enterprise um, and so we knew that once again we were essentially getting a, a prequel um, with with a Star Trek show and you know, we had had just, you know, 10, 12, or 12 years prior, we had just wrapped on um, Star Trek Enterprise, and which, you know, concluded in 2005, and that was set in the 22nd century. Like, okay, that's cool. You know, we're getting basically 100 years before uh, Kirk, thereabouts. That's fine. Uh, no big deal. And I think a lot of the fans at the time were wanting to see, you know, what what happened post Endgame, like what happened post Voyager. Um, and, and that had been kind of like the thing, like let's see what happens in the 24th or 25th or 26th century. You know, let's, let's move it forward instead of like hopping back. Were you, like, I, I know you don't probably get too in the weeds with that kind of stuff, but, you know, looking back on that, Eric, did you have um, some sort of, opinion about where you wanted to see Star Trek going in terms of like, you know, continue moving forward past the nineties era of Trek versus going back. Yeah. I wanted to see us go forward into the future. The thing that I was most interested in seeing was a deep space nine follow-up because in the end of deep space nine, Cisco says, I'll be back. You know, someday I'll be back. I'm coming back for sure. And it was like, that's what I wanted to see most or I wanted to see something that happened post Endgame, post Nemesis, which we've eventually we've gotten that right. But yeah, that's yes. what I was most interested in seeing. Um, I understand why they keep going back to the TOS era. That's like they can like try to play on nostalgia, and they can eventually try to bring in legacy characters, which they've done. <laughs> so I get it. Right. But I was, I was like, I know what happens in this era of Star Trek. I want to see what happens later. That's definitely where I wanted us to go. Right, and we'll talk a little bit about like the what worked for us, what didn't work for us, um, a little bit later on. But um, I think part of this time frame, um, just to kind of tease a little bit, has to do with with that conversation we're gonna have a little bit later on about what worked and didn't work in terms of discovery for me, at least. So, like you, I, I wanted to see what happened uh, following Nemesis. Like, what happened following, you know, the conclusion of Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Um, and, of course, the TNG crew, because they were off, you know, zipping around in the movies and stuff. Um, I definitely wanted to see that. I think the thing, and granted, we've only had, like, up to this point, we had only had, you know, two, two and a half eras of of star trek right like we had in the 60s 70s and 80s essentially we've had the original crew so we had the 23rd century and then for us you know for eric and i and anyone else that was really into the 80s and 90s era of trek we had the 24th century and like i mean call me predictable but i just think it makes sense that if you're gonna have a new audience that you would move forward and have like i don't know the 25th century of Star Trek. Especially because they had the new Kelvin timeline, which also went back in time. 
So right. now we've got two different things happening essentially at the same time that are both set in that 23rd century era. Mm-hmm. And I will say this of, uh, I don't know, like, <clears throat> I like Kirk. I've said this before. I like Kirk. I like the original Enterprise, but I'm not crazy about them. Okay. So like you, I feel like you're only serving one part of the fan base by constantly going back to, you know, the 23rd century, you know, and revisiting Kirk and Spock and Bones, Scotty, right. It, through different iterations, you know, including, and that includes Pike. I mean, we've had, we've seen Jeffrey Hunter, right. We've seen Anson Mount and um, help me out. I forgot his name. Bruce Greenwood. Yes. Bruce Greenwood all play different versions of Pike. And l- listen, like what happened with like when Gene Roddenberry and Lucille Ball and all those folks did what they did, man, they struck gold with Star Trek. And I know they're trying to like capitalize on that still, but there's more to it than just those folks. It's so much bigger than that. And uh, it's brilliant, but let's stop hanging out there. So that was, that was the thing like, okay, we're, we're here. We are, we're back. And the, we're back in the, in the 23rd century, right around the time of Kirk again. And then, and then not only that, I guess this, this fits here. It could fit later, but not only are we shoehorning this into that era, we're forcing our new characters to also be a part of that group of people by choosing to make Michael Burnham the adoptive sister of Spock. Sure. Like forcing it to fit when it might not be the best story story wise thing to make it fit. Sure. So let's talk season one. Okay. So season one, uh, we, it's the story of, um, uh, maybe, maybe the big overarching thing, theme is redemption maybe that's maybe that's the overarching one would you what would you say yeah I, okay that's that that could be the theme yeah um i thought you were gonna say the big overarching story is the klingon war and i was gonna say au contraire no 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 no, no. so we we have this story of of michael burnham from being a first officer um who's essentially next in line both practically and in all likelihood truly going to be the next captain of the USS uh, Shenzo uh, you know being ran by Captain Philippa Giorgio um, played by Michelle Yeoh and this whole story starts out with them kind of wandering through the desert and trying to and being in you know Michael Burnham being mentored and having this like deep relationship of sorts with with her captain and trying to teach her these things and they start investigating things and what ends up happening is Michael Burnham starts a war she creates mutiny on her ship <laughs> she's raising your hand yeah <laughs> Michael Burnham does not start this war. Let's just be very clear about this. <laughs> Chakuvma and his people started the war. Like, okay, fine. That war was going to start 
regardless of anything Michael Burnham did. The Klingons were determined to start a war. So can we please stop saying that Michael Burnham started this war? Can we stop that? That's okay. just factually not true. All right, fine. Do you not agree? Well, maybe both of them are... I think both of them certainly had a, a part to play, um, like all wars do. I don't know. It's just her actions, like going and like yeah. But the Klingons up. were the Klingons were looking for a fight, and when you're looking for a fight, chances are you're gonna find one. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I would I would agree. Her actions, her actions might be helped precipitate it. But I, I don't think they were necessarily the cause of it. I might have to take another look at it. I mean, I've seen the start of it now three times, four times. And I don't know, that's, that's just kind of how, how it rings with me. So we can just agree to disagree for right now. I think that's how the show tries to play it, is that it's all her fault and she's responsible. Which, in turn, like justif seemingly justifies her actions for what leads to a mutiny and her being stripped of things, her rank and her position and stuff with Starfleet. And that's, and that's what I'm getting as like, you know, you done messed up a, a Ron type of thing <laughs> with, with Michael Burnham and, and how this whole Klingon war thing kind of plays out. Um, and then her, you know, getting back in to Starfleet and then the way that season one ends, which is them all getting this really nice, shiny, shiny award that they get to pin on their chest and her getting her, her commander rank reinstated. So anyway, so part, so there's, there's two parts. There, I, I think there's, there's really two parts of season one more so than there is with season two of discovery. Season one is Klingon war. I'm sorry. Part one of season one. You don't think so? Well, I mean, I'm saying I don't think... I think the Klingon War is a red herring. I think that from its inception, season one of Discovery was always about the mirror universe. Like, the Klingon War was just a, a plot device to get us to what the actual story was about. And that was about the relationship between Michael, Philippa, and Lorca. Would you... Okay, would you be willing to consider that perhaps part one is mainly perhaps just Klingon conflict and part two is mirror universe. I, I like, I understand that. But what I'm saying is I think that when they created the show, when Brian Fuller or Alex Kurtzman, whomever was like largely responsible for this overarching story here, when they created it, their goal was to tell a story about the mirror universe. Their goal was not to tell a story about the Klingon war. And I just think they had to figure out a way to get us to the mirror universe. And their way of getting us there was this Klingon war. Okay. This, 
I don't know how much you um, you paid attention to like some of the drama associated with this show going on in the background, or if you follow any YouTubers that talk about this. But there's listen, there's a bunch of angry nerd trolls out there. I am not one of them. I refu- I refuse to be that. I I will have some strong opinions, but I'm not going to trash a show just to trash a show. And I, and people like on YouTube they do that just so like you they get like the algorithm and their monetization nonsense going because let's be pissed off about something just for the sake of being pissed off about something. Well, there's um, there was an independent game creator and some of you out there in listener land might know about this. Um, and whether there's any true substance to it or not is one thing, but it has gone to um, into litigation multiple times. Um, there was an independent creator named Anas Abdin. Um, he's Egyptian. And he created a game called Tardigrades. Okay, have you heard anything about this, Eric? Yeah, I'm familiar with this story, yeah. Okay, so... He has apparently dev logs going as far back, I think, to like 2012 or 13, something like that. And this is like a passion project for him as an indie gamer, um, indie game developer, I should say, um, taking care of like his sick parents um, who unfortunately have, I think his it was his dad who was recently passed. But people that knew of, of his game development were like, hey, have you seen this new Star Trek show? It looks like they're kind of ripping off your stuff. And, like, you look at the characters, you look at, like, the character design between the game and what we saw in the first season. Like, there's a black woman wearing a yellow jumpsuit. There's a white woman with curly red hair. There's a black doctor. You know, all these different things that just seems like it's too much of a coincidence. And then even a, a tardigrade that looks exactly the same is in the game. And... There has been a lawsuit that was filed, and he's lost. The game creator's lost, um, I think now twice, and they're still fighting it. So, um, I mean, I can see the similarities, but I don't know, like, the whole case briefing. Your mom would probably be the one that would be better to give an opinion of that since she's, you know, kind of a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've heard that story, um, but I, I guess, like, the, the ruling was that a tardigrade is a thing that's out there and just because two things use a tardigrade doesn't mean one was stolen from the other i know there's something similar like somebody has sued um stranger things and the the creators of stranger things because he claimed that he wrote some kind of story about like an upside down parallel universe before that and that person has lost his lawsuit against the stranger things people as well Well, in the end, I think part of like the tardigrade thing is like that's a, a standard like sci-fi mechanic or something like that, and I'm like, uh, maybe, maybe. I mean, tardigrades are real, real creatures. I mean, they're not time. They're mi- They're microscopic. Absolutely, yeah. They're they're like these microscopic little things. They're not like time traveling instantaneous. Whatchamacallits, right? Like, I- yeah. Let's space surf on mushrooms. Right. Now, there is the TARDIS. There's the TARDIS in Doctor Who. <laughs> Which is a time-jumping thingamajig. Right. Exactly. It's a thingamajig. Exactly. Yeah, I've never seen a single episode of Doctor Who. Love so me some I, Doctor Who, by the way. Thingamajig is the best word. I can dig it. TARDIS actually stands for Time and Relative Dimension in Space. 
as stated by the uh, Doctor's granddaughter in um, the very first series of Doctor Who back in the 1960s. Okay. But yeah, that was just some of the background. And, I, and um, Michael Fuller, right, was, was fired just prior. Brian Fuller. Brian Fuller, gosh. Was fired just prior to um, really everything taking off, and yeah, was he was he fired or was he did he leave for creative differences? The you know it's just like that that owl on the Tootsie Pop, the world may never know. Just saying. Yeah, but he's still listed as the creator of the show in the credits. Yeah. Yeah. So when you let's just hang out with season one for a second. Um, tell me a little bit more about season one. Like, were there? Um, I know that Discovery's not your favorite Trek, okay? But were there like some moments? Um, and I'm not even going to ask you for episode names because one, they're like this long. They're like, they're, yeah, the episode names are like if you looked at like an emo album, like an emo music band's <laughs> album from like 2005, 2015, and you looked at the title listing. And you looked at the names names for the episodes in Discovery Season One. You'd be like, "That's an emo album right there." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're not. I can't remember them. They're so. There's like. It's like, um, the butcher's knife cares not for the the lamb's cry. There's <laughs> one uh, magic to make the sanest man go mad. That uh, sounds like like a Fallout Boy. Like yeah, song that's what I said. Emo, yeah, <laughs> something like Fallout <laughs> Boy or Panic at the Disco, My Chemical Romance, something like that. <laughs> but I just love that was like the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. The butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. And then it's like, will you take my hand? Or into the forest I go. And then there's a few Latin titles in there mm-hmm. that I won't try to pronounce. Yeah, no. Anyway, I can't remember any of the names. But with with season one, again, knowing that like the episodes are long, I'm not going to ask you to name them. I'm not even going to ask you like look them up. But were there any like, moments or or episodes perhaps that you know kind of did stand out to you? Is like, hmm, not that's not too bad. Yeah, there were there were several there were several standout moments from season one for me. Um, episode three which is like actually the pilot episode if you if you think about it because episodes one and two are like the prologue or the introduction Mm -hmm. where you don't even see the discovery and so a lot of people were like could we have just started here at episode three did we really need to see those first two episodes and at the time we were all saying yeah we probably could have just started at episode three but once we see where the show ends up at the end of season one, episodes one and two were absolutely essential for that story. Yeah. But but I like this episode's called Context is for Kings is the name of that episode. And I actually, there's some really good, like, philosophical discussion here. All of the encounters between Burnham and Lorca in that episode are fantastic. And and when 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 he she first shows up and he's like, the Michael Burnham on my ship, man, I can't believe that I'm gonna put you to work, 
He's she's like, no, thank you, no, thank you. He's like, excuse me, I, I don't give a sh I don't care what you want. You you're on my ship. You will do what I say. You will you will help out here. Right. And then and then later on, she's like, you orchestrated this whole thing to get me here. Orchestrated. He orchestrated it, right? You've never heard that. No, but I like yeah, it. Yeah, he didn't he didn't orchestrate it. He orchestrated it. And she's like, I'm not here by accident. You brought me here. Like, you're developing some kind of special biological weapon, and you need someone who's got nothing to lose to help you make it work. And that's why you picked me here. But I'm not who you think I am. Like, I may have been stripped of my rank, but I'm still a Starfleet officer, and I'm not going to help you create some weapon. Mm -hmm. And then he goes... You're right, I did choose you, but not for the reason you think. Like, I know you love being right, but I suspect you hate being wrong more. And I just, I love that line when Lorca said that. <laughs> it's like, you probably love being right, but you hate being wrong. And he's like, I'm not creating a new weapon. Mm -hmm. I'm creating a new way to fly. And he takes her down to the spore drive and he shows her what they're doing and how you can be here in an instant and here in an instant and back there in an instant and if we can travel and be there and back in the blink of an eye that's how you win the war and I'm like this is an interesting idea yeah the spore drive doesn't fit continuity wise into the story but I'm just I'm sitting here thinking like we're going to win this war with science and technology mm -hmm. right? we're not going to win this war by out fighting the Klingons. This is a right. really interesting idea, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where this is going. And that was a big standout for me at the beginning. Okay. Yeah, I, I love the line. Um, I think it's like super cheesy. It's like in like a James Bond film, whenever they like say the name of the movie in the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and then like the but the when. When Lorca said that, you know, universal laws for lackeys, context is for kings. I was like, that's good, man. Yeah, it's very rare that you actually hear the episode title spoken by somebody. Right, right. And I think we get that like a couple times in season one, definitely in season two, and certainly yeah. in season three so yeah, far. It's like, it's like yeah, into the forest I go, Stamets is talking about like, there's a forest out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm talking about the mycelial network yeah i think this this was an, an episode that i really liked too i really like landry right the um the security i liked her i liked i liked landry um yeah oh, that's okay we can agree to disagree I, but i liked her i mean she was only around for like what two episodes two episodes yeah okay so she she, she commits suicide essentially mm -hmm. but hey she was also in battlestar Yes, she was. She was Tori, the yep. president's assistant. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know that at the time, by the way. Did not know that at the time, considering I watched Battlestar this last summer. So, all the way through. Anyway, um, but I liked her. Uh, I, and I liked I liked the end of that episode. Um, you know, like whenever Lorca's kind of explaining, like, what's up and this whole flying thing. And then Michael Burnham is you know, in the next few episodes, kind of figuring out like this whole tardigrade thing and kind of how things work, like the temperament of it and things like that. Um, there was one episode 
and man, um, I think it was, was it magic to make the Sanus man go m- mad where it's like the time loop? Yeah, I, yeah. In in my opinion, this is the best episode of the entire show over three seasons, or two plus seasons, mm-hmm. wherever we are by now. The time loop episode was that was really cool, um, and mm-hmm. seeing how like they figured it out, it felt very Star Trek, like they, no, yeah. like they they were getting information and like slowly putting it together and slowly arriving at resolution. And it, I mean, it had like a legacy character of sorts in it with with. Um, Harry Mudd, um, kind of being behind all the stuff, and um, anyway, I thought I thought it was a good episode. Like that was one of the standout ones for me. Was was that? Yeah, I, I really like that episode. Although I would say, even though I say I think that's the best episode of the two plus seasons we've had so far, I still think that episode is like Exhibit One of the biggest problem Discovery has, is that it forces Michael Burnham to be front and center in every single episode rather than trying to make the show a true ensemble. Mm-hmm. Like that episode would have been perfect to be a Stamet centric episode because he's the one who, who through being hooked up to the, the spore drive, he understands and he recognizes that we're caught in the time loop. And so you could have focused on him and his quest to try and, you know, tell everybody and convince everybody and get us out of this situation instead of just telling Michael Burnham and then having Michael Burnham figure it out. Right. And we, I mean, we saw like Reese and Rice and, and stuff like that. And, we, and of course, Detmer and Awusakun. Um, but I mean, I think like that's something that could have been fleshed out more is like maybe not individual like vignettes, but like if we could have had like Awusakun and Detmer, Reese and Rice you know, them kind of like having like their own Groundhog Day and then them all coming together, that could have been a, a pretty compelling one. Um, kind of like, um, oh my goodness, um, cause and effect, right? With um, Kelsey Grammer yeah. and, and that episode of Next Generation. Um, I think it could have been, I don't think it would have been like a carbon copy, but I, could, I think it could have been like in the same vein, well, but, I mean, but told in a different already- way. There are already people that out there, if you go on IMDb, that people are like, one star, this is a complete ripoff of episode cause and effect. Maybe. <laughs> no, but I mean, the, yeah. if you go to IMDb, you'll see that. Sure. Um, but good episode. That was like one of the one of the very few episodes that I, I liked um, from season mm-hmm. one. And I'm not trying to give away anything. Um, but, okay, so if, if we look at that, you know, End of end of part one, you know, like the ninth episode in the forest I go, where we pop up into the mirror universe, and I'm gonna okay, I'm I'm gonna try and be, whatever. Okay, so we get into the mirror universe, and I will say this: I like the back half of season one more than I like the front half of it. That being said, I did not like the Mirror Universe because I thought the Mirror Universe was done very well. Look, okay, like the Mirror Universe has popped up in every, pretty much every iteration of Star Trek, except for Voyager, I'm pretty sure. It was it was never in TNG and it was never in Voyager. I would, I would argue that it was perhaps with Yesterday's Enterprise. 
Yeah, but I, I, that's still the Federation, though. That's not the Terran Empire. Hey, they were wearing a sash. Everyone knows you wear a sash in the Mirian. Okay. But I'm Picard didn't have a beard or a goatee. <laughs> he had a sash. <laughs> a gold sparkly sash on his waist. So gold and sparkly, Eric. But they were still the Federation. Okay, you know what? Headcanon accepted. Whatever. Okay, so... But still, like, it's popped up a lot. Okay? Um, however many times you think it has, it's popped up a lot um, over the years. Mostly, mostly in Deep Space Nine. Definitely in Deep Space Nine. And it was used very well in Deep Space Nine as far as I'm concerned. And I know... I, I, know think, I think they went to the well one or two many times going back to it. But I do think it was used well for the most part in Deep mm -hmm. Nine. So, I didn't like... I liked it, but I didn't like it. And I just felt like it was... It was forced, but it wasn't forced. Like, I'm, I'm not making any sense right now with, okay. with how I feel about it. Okay, do you want me to go? Okay, I'm tagging you in. Okay, tag. I'm in. I'm coming under the ropes. All right. So, listen... At what point did you figure out that Lorca was Mirror Universe Lorca? Did you figure it out before they told you or 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 not? Um I want to say I had suspicions by the end of the first half, but then it was definitely confirmed once we got into the beginning of season 2. Or part two, you mean? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, part two yeah. of season so, one. So, like, I, I think I, I don't think I figured it out until 10 minutes before they told us. Like, I was, for some reason, normally I can figure things out, but I think it was about 10 minutes before they told us. Okay, so my next question is when did you figure out that the Emperor was Georgiou? Did you figure it out before they told us, or did you, did you I see it I didn't when know. they. I didn't see it coming. Oh. Oh, oh, to me, I was like, I was watching the Mirror Universe, and they're like, they said, the Terran Empire is ruled by a faceless emperor, and and then they're ruthless, and I'm like, I know who it is. As soon as they said that, I'm like, I know who it is, and like a light bulb, literally like a light bulb went off over my head, you know how they do in cartoons? Yeah. Bing! I was like, it all makes sense those first two episodes make sense like we, we just mentioned that earlier it's like do we need those first two episodes probably not but we absolutely need those first two episodes because those first two episodes are not about the start of the klingon war that's not important we don't need to see the start of the war we don't need to see how michael burnham ended up in jail right we didn't need to see how Tom Paris ended up in jail. We just accepted Tom Paris was in jail. Okay? But the, the whole purpose of those first two episodes is to create the relationship between Michael and Philippa. That's the only purpose of those first two episodes. Sure. And I'm like, light bulb, it all makes sense. The Emperor is going to be Georgiou. And I knew it right away. I was like, if it's anybody else, I would be shocked. And course i was right so i remember when we and i feel really dumb for saying this but just go with it um 
feel really dumb saying this, but I was when we when I found out that we had gotten to the mirror universe, um, I had this thought of like, hmm, I wonder if it's Hoshi. She would be too old though. Exactly, and that and that's the thing. Like, but I mean, like. Maybe it could have been Hoshi. I mean, just be, by what we saw, like in a mirror darkly, you know. Uh, but I think I think that the fact that we saw Empress Sato in that episode also makes it easier t- for us to accept Emperor jo- Empress Giorgio. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go there for a second. You probably know where I'm going. Do you think that perhaps that Giorgio is a descendant of Empress Sato? Well, I think that both Giorgios, Captain Giorgio and Emperor Giorgio, have the same lineage, don't they? They should. They should. So yeah. I feel like if Captain Giorgio was a descendant of Hoshi Sato, we would have known that. They would have told us that because the Discovery loves to tell us how all our characters are related to each other. Yeah, and how they connect to all the things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I just thought I'd go there for a second. Um, yeah, so so listen. Do you want to talk about this now, or do you want to talk about this when we get into likes and dislikes, because we're on the Mirror Universe? Let's, um, let's hang on to it for right now so we have stuff to talk about. Okay. As much sure. as it probably pains you, let's, let's hang on yeah. to it for right now. Okay. So I think um, one of my favorite moments... In, in part two of season one is when acting Captain Saru is standing on the bridge and he gives his whole we are Starfleet kind of rallying cry. Um, I think that was like my, my absolute favorite part. I'm like, okay, this actually feels like Star Trek right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I do like when he, when he says, Discovery is no longer Lorca's. Discovery is your ship now, mm-hmm. and we will run this as a Starfleet crew, and we will stay true to our ideals. That's a really good moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Um, and this season ends. I mean, is there anything else that you want to mention apart from, like, how it ends? I mean, it ends... I... No. No, we'll get to there. We'll get okay. there. So this the season ends. Like we've we've gone through this whole thing of of like how we see Burnham with with Giorgio and in being the first officer to, you know, being you know, stripped of all things and then the very end of having her rank and whatnot reinstated and being reinstated as a Starfleet officer and everyone getting the Medal of Honor. And um and then that's it. That's it for for Star Trek Discovery Season 1. And uh, we have a little bit of time off. Um, Last episode aired on February 11th of 2018. So this, it went from October 1st to November 12th. So we had about, I guess that would be six weeks, thereabouts. I think it was, I think it was, was, the first season was 15 episodes. And I think it was nine was part one and then six episodes for part two. Right, yeah. Uh, September, sorry, September twenty fourth. We had the first two episodes, and then about a week later, we had um, episode three. The context is for King. So yeah, it was like six or seven ish weeks uh, for part one of the season, and then we had another 
one, two, three, four, five, six weeks of um, part two. Um, so again, that was the last episode of season one um, aired on February 11th, 2018 on CBS All Access. And then it was um, just a little less than a year later on January 17th, 2019, that season two premiered with the episode Brother. Oh, brother. Here we go. Oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, one thing I will say, uh, I want to say just real quick. We find out in the very final moments of season one that we're en route to, I believe it's Vulcan, to pick up the new captain of the Discovery. And then we get this hail and, you know, trying to figure out what ship it is that's that's trying to get in contact and whatnot with the discovery and we see ever so slowly n c c one seven oh one oh it's the enterprise mm -hmm. yeah and then season one ends with the two ships face to face mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um anyways here we go season two season two so season two um what would you say the the theme of season two would be, Eric? <sighs> Something to do with, like, the past is always with you, and you can't, you can't leave your past behind you. I don't know if that's too trite or not. Okay. I think if I had to sum it up into one word family that's fair yeah would probably be the season two theme and kind of how, how we see it play out so do you want to give us the the drive-by fruiting of season two since i did that for season one yes yeah, so season two we meet the enterprise captain pike comes on and says these weird seven signals all appeared in the sky at the same time and I've been told to take over your ship so we can go figure them out what these things are. Mm -hmm. And we're going to travel around from place to place when these signals then appear later on, figure out what they are. Um, and then there's this um, artificial intelligence that comes along from somewhere and wants to take over Discovery because of reasons. It wants to get a hold of some information that Discovery has. And then eventually it becomes like an all-out war. Discovery and the Federation versus this AI that's trying to take over. Mm -hmm. Oh, AI. So much AI. There was a lot of AI in this, this era of Star Trek. Lots and lots of AI. Okay. So. All right. So season two... Um, I think that's that's a that's a pretty fair that's a fair assessment of of kind of how it plays out. One thing I will say is I remember um, at one point Alex Kurtzman and company kind of talking about not wanting to um, have legacy characters um, originally in the show, and uh, that they were trying to like do their own thing and. Season two, we have a lot of legacy characters that are popping up. Uh, yeah, so I have a question, though, before we get... Like, 
At what point did we learn of the announcement of Star Trek Strange New Worlds? When did we? Yeah, when did we? Was it was it before season two of, of Discovery came out? Was it during season two? Was it after season two? Way after season two. Was it? Okay. So, but you have to believe that they were using Captain Pike and Spock here in season two to like gauge the reaction to see if they should start this new show. There's, um, from what I remember, there was zero plans for um, for it. So, what? So, I have to, I have to back up and turn my computer on for a second up here. Um, they originally were not going to do anything. In fact, like like you said, season one was still filming uh, when the first part aired, and I think fans were wanting like more connections to Star Trek and like let's be honest like people were like very unhappy with Discovery as it was airing they're like this is not Star Trek um this this does not feel like like Star Trek I can't watch this with my family it's too far removed something's just way off like the special sauce of Star Trek is missing and originally from what I understand Anson Mount like Captain Pike was never going to be a thing in Star Trek and I think that the like the adding on of the Enterprise and the final moments of season one, and then of course the Enterprise and you know Captain Pike and Number One and even Spock and Sarek and all them that was added on as like almost like a fan service kind of thing, from what I remember, um, to try and like bring back the the fan base that they had perhaps like disenfranchised. Well, I, yeah, I do I do remember that a lot of people were saying that a lot of hardcore fans were saying we don't like this and a lot of them even got ticked off by something that uh jason isaac jason isaac isaacs 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 said who plays captain lorca said he was like we're not making this show for the hardcore fans we're making this show to bring in new people and that really made a lot of people mad and and then he was like let me clarify that statement i i meant like the diehard fans will watch this show no matter what we make, which is like a terrible clarification because you can't just take us for granted. Right, right. But, but yeah, like the strange, like it was following this season because um, Anson Mount's portrayal of Captain Pike was very refreshing. I really liked Captain Pike a lot. I thought he was a standout. Even amongst the main cast, I, I loved watching Anson Mount's uh, take on Captain Pike, and uh, it, yeah, it was it was during and certainly afterwards um, that fans were like, "We want a Captain Pike show. Give us a Captain Pike show, please. Give us a Captain Pike show." And Anson Mount would like tease the heck out of it, like at different appearances, like at Comic Cons and interviews and and things like that. And it wasn't until I want to say early 2020 when him, Rebecca Romaine and Ethan Peck all got on Twitter and made the official announcement that, yeah, Strange New Worlds has been greenlit and we're going to have our own show. Yeah, because I, I, to, to a certain extent, season two almost feels like a commercial or, or a trailer for Strange New Worlds because it, it highlights Captain Pike and Spock so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And that's why I, I just got, I have to believe that they already had this idea in their mind about creating strange new worlds. And they were using season two to test out, do people like this interpretation of Captain Pike? And if they like it, then we'll go ahead and, and do this different show. Sure. But if people didn't like it, then they would just drop the idea. Sure. And I mean, there was, um, I, I'm, let me see, I need to math real quick. There was like, what, 18 months between the end of season one and the beginning of season two? Yeah, it, that has to do with COVID, though. No, 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 not, not, not COVID. Between the end of season, between the end of season two and the beginning of season three? No, no, season one and season two, there was 18 months. Oh, between the start of season one and the end of season two? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, I got you. Is that right? No, I can't be right. I'm not mathing. April 18th, 2019... Yeah, and then you have to go back to September of 17. That's a year and a half. Okay. So, anyway. Anyways, there's there's a big old span of time and when they were still filming. So, they were still filming. Yeah, in like the fall. Fall and winter. Um, when all- Sorry, guys. All y'all that are getting confused, just take a deep breath. Let's do some progressive relaxation so we can refocus. Hmm. Everyone better? That's good. Okay. Go to the holodeck or something. Go to Quarks. It's fine. Go play some Dabo or something. Um, where were we, Eric? Okay, we, uh, we were talking about legacy characters and how it really wasn't par- originally part of the formula for Season 2, but then they got thrown in, essentially, um, by all reports, to kind of bring in more of the original fan base. Did it work for you? D- did that work for you? I liked Captain Pike. I did. I really do. I think Anson Mount, Anson Mount's a good actor, and I think his portrayal it was definitely very refreshing, especially, especially after we went through season one where we just got, you know, Lorca with a capital E, evil. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but and then you know Rebecca Romaine, she was only in like two or three episodes, very probably only like a half hour's worth of screen time over the entire course of the season. Um. I didn't care so much for for Ethan Peck's portrayal of Spock. Didn't really care for the characterization and the storyline that they went with him. Um, and I, I just I, I go back to the idea that so much of Star of Star Trek is not legacy characters. Is not about the Enterprise. Why do we feel like we have to do this? That's a good question. It's a good question. But but I guess did it work? Did it not work? Yes, it worked. It would be the answer to that question. Okay. This um when when you look at season two, um standout uh, moment, standout episode, what comes to mind? I'm I'm gonna guess we probably have the same one but i want to well, see if i'm right so so as i said i think magic to make the sanest man go mad from season one is probably the best episode of the show and i would say that new eden season two episode two is probably just it just slightly not quite as good but right there and this is the sound of me nodding my head furiously yeah yeah and, and directed by jonathan frakes and this was probably the last great episode that Jonathan Frakes directed 
because as I've said before, I think he's maybe lost his touch a little bit. Yeah, Project Daedalus was, yeah, which was the other episode. I'm pretty sure that yeah, yeah, it was the other episode that he directed for that season. And I would say New Eden to me feels like a really classic Star Trek episode where you you go to a planet and there's some crisis issue you have to try and figure out Mm -hmm. and you've got an a plot and a b plot right you've got the a plot we're down on the planet you've got the b plot we're back up on the ship trying to figure something out in both situations yeah yeah i really liked new eden um i thought it was it was shot very well like the the cinematography on it was just so good so good um like, you have to do a donut in space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I forget what Detmer says. She's like, I'll have to pull like a super tight radial turn the whole time until he's like a donut. You have to do a donut in space. Okay, can I tell you, like, there was another, there's another show that's going on at the same time of, uh, as this. And I think... Discovery was being a little petty with it. Um, this was so Discovery is a web series, okay? So it, it's on CBS All Access. You can stream the thing whenever you want to. And there's other show which Star Trek fans claim to be as true Star Trek, and that's the Orville. And the Orville um, season, I think it was one, if I'm not mistaken, or two. Anyways, anyways, the, um, the Orville was going on at the same time. And episodes of of um, the Orville aired at I believe it was like seven o'clock Central Time or eight o'clock Eastern, whatever. And Discovery would purposefully schedule itself to drop thirty minutes before the Orville to try and <laughs> seriously. That's petty, right there. So the, so Discovery at this time for season two was dropping seven thirty Eastern um, here in America. So there was that, but there was also this line on the Orville that the um, the, the helmsman, um, who's like crazy skilled at, at stuff, he, he calls this one move called hugging the donkey. And whenever I heard hugging the donkey and I also heard doing a donut in space, I was like, I think y'all are just trying too hard. But yeah, because yeah, cause Orville season two, I'm sorry, um, yeah, Orville season two and discovery season two were kind of going on at the same time. And, and I think they were noticing that fans were enjoying the Orville more. Anyway, there were, there were a lot, there were a lot of similarities between season two and, um, the Orville. I'm going to shut up now, but, um, like you see some of the humor, um, that's being kind of sprinkled in, in, in uh, discovery. I think that's in a direct connection to what was going on in the Orville, especially like the whole Linus thing, being in the in the turbo lift. You see the exact same. You saw the exact same thing in season one of of the Orville. I'm just saying. I'm just putting it out there. Okay, I haven't seen anything from the Orville yet. Well, well, well. Spoilers abound from yours truly. <laughs> it's, fine. It's, it's fine. I don't think it'll hurt my enjoyment when I eventually get around to watching the Orville. It's great. I love the Orville. My wife loves the Orville. Uh, we watch that together. That's must-see TV for, for Michelle and I. Um, okay. So this season ends with 
a realization that Michael's mom is still alive and like she was presumed dead and she was the original owner of the Red Angel suit doing all her little, you know, back to the future type stuff. And Michael, it turns out to be the one that's the one popping up all over the place. Um, big surprise there. By the way, this is not a spoiler free episode. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> when it got revealed that Michael was the Red Angel, like I, I didn't see that coming. But when it got revealed, I was like, duh, of course she was. Like, I should have seen that coming a long time ago because, mm -hmm. of course, this show was going to make everything about Michael Burnham. Right. Yeah. Like, did you did you figure out that it was her before they told us? I had a sneaking suspicion just because of, like, how everything is about her. And I'm like, if it's not her, it's going to have to be someone we don't know. But, like... I was probably 85 to 90% sure it was going to be Michael, and sure enough, it was. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, I should have seen that coming a mile away. Mm -hmm. So, um, season two is, of course, uh, where we, uh, we have like this big AI thing that's really becoming more and more prevalent um, or starting to become more prevalent in Star Trek, more so than like data and, and lore and, and all the stuff that we know from the next gen era, okay? Beyond that, like we're, we're taking the AI, the artificial intelligence stuff, and we're dialing it up to 11 here in Discovery and in the Kurtzman era of Star Trek. Let's be honest, that's what's happening. Um, and we see that continue on in Star Trek Picard. Yeah, and I know you and I both thought that Star Trek Picard was going to have some be in some way related to control here. We both said, I think that's happening. And we were both pleasantly surprised that it's not what happened. Right. I think we maybe got like a little bit of a hint with like the robo centipede there at the end of Picard um, coming up out that portal. But, um, but yeah, there's something about like this artificial intelligence being dialed up to 11 in, in the Kurtzman era that I'm just not, I don't get it. Like, why that's a thing? Um, I mean, like, again, we've seen it now in season two of Discovery. We saw it in Star Trek Picard. We kind of maybe are seeing it in Lower Decks, and we might be seeing it in Discovery season three. Um, just depending, like, based on, like, the opening credits that I'm seeing. I don't know. I might be high. I'm not high. Did you just, did you just hear my eye roll? <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm done with the, the AI artificial intelligence is gonna take over the world storylines it's been it's been done in science fiction a lot sure and it's been done better previously sure sure so I'm just kind of over that there's more there's more stories we can tell in science fiction than just the AI yeah apocalypse yeah okay is there anything else about season two that you want to discuss that we might have missed? Well, I would say one one thing, and this is this is to me like very strange. Uh, the lowest rated episode on IMDb is actually one of my favorite episodes from season two, and it's called Saints of Imperfection. Okay. And I call this the the Stranger Things episode because mm -hmm. it's totally like like 
if they say no this is not based on stranger things like i'm like gtfo of course this is based on stranger things <laughs> like of course it is you know it's like we're going to the upside down right we're taking the ship and we're flipping it over but we're gonna stop halfway so we can pass through the barrier and go into the upside down or the mycelial network mm -hmm. and i i don't I, even though it is a blatant ripoff of stranger things i really enjoy that episode because the idea of aliens or life forms that live in the mycelial network is a very good star trek story the idea of like hey we're trying to seek out new life and um there's an, a misunderstanding of like they recreated Dr. Mm -hmm. Colber in the mycelial network and um, they thought he was a monster who was attacking them and right. the classic misunderstanding. And, you know, we're not, we're going to resolve our differences through trying to bridge our understanding together. I really think is interesting. Yeah. And I think now, I, I do, I do understand there are some problems with that episode and I understand why people rate it low, but I, I, I like that episode. And I think this ep this some aspects of this episode are gonna pop up, um, probably again for me if I'm thinking. Yeah, it's it's gonna show up again, uh, probably for me in um, our Star Trek Discovery season three conversations, here and there, um, for reasons. Uh, that's, that's called that's what they call a tease. Yeah, I'm a tease. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> All right. Um, so let's just maybe briefly um, talk about like some what worked, what didn't work um, type of things. I know there's probably going to be more. Uh, it's like, like we were saying at the beginning, like this might be more one sided on in some regards. But um, I mean, let's just go from there and just see what see what happens. OK, so for me like number one are these discussions that Lorca has with the crew about the spore drive um we mentioned his discussion with michael in context is her kings about that spore drive which i think is really an interesting philosophical discussion they have and then there's the other point where they've just made all those little micro jumps right around the klingon sarcophagus ship for or whatever it's called the ship of the dead i think is what they call it um and stamets is like he's got some health issues right to say the least and and he's like captain i'll make one more jump for you i mean only one more jump and then i have to go back to the doctors i have to resign from starfleet we have to figure out what's wrong with me and he's like listen we're going to win. First of all, we're going to win the war because of you, because of what you've done, like building this spore drive, creating this interface, sacrificing yourself. Basically, we're going to win the war because of you and you deserve credit for this. And I think from if this was a real captain, right, I think that's a really good thing for your captain to say to try to like lift up your scientist. So, but then, like, we learned this is not a real captain. But I, I like that discussion. He's trying to do some positive reinforcement there. 
And then he like strokes the scientist's ego where he says, you have uncovered an entirely new way that we can explore space and we can explore the nature of the universe by you creating this spore drive. And again, there's like this positive reinforcement of the scientist because we saw Stamets earlier said, listen, right. I'm not, I'm not a soldier. I'm not somebody like that. I'm just a scientist. I had a partner and our research was co-opted by the Federation to give to this warmonger Lorca over here. And I don't like that. And I, I don't want my work and my science to be co-opted, 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 sure. co-opted, corrupted in that manner. And now here you have Lorca telling him, hey, once this war is over, you have created a new way for us to explore. And I like that that idea. And the idea of the spore drive is really interesting to me. I honestly, so when I first was watching it, I wasn't too crazy about the spore drive. I'm like, this is weird. But... I mean, like, it was just weird because, like, I'm just so used to, like, warp drive and, like, other similar ways of space travel. And, like, I know that warp isn't, like, there there are, mul- there are other ways that we, we move throughout the galaxy, like, in our, in our exploration of space um, in, in this Star Trek world that we live in. Um, the Star Trek future. I, sh- I, I prefer saying Star Trek future that we live in uh, more than world. Um, but to your point, I think there is something to that. Like, part of what we do in Star Trek is we're we're looking at how can we better ourselves, how can we advance things, how can we continue to, you know, push the envelope. Whether that's with, like, our defenses, whether that's with our exploration, with our science, with our um, the way that we are as a society and as humanity. Um, I think that's that's the thing. And if we're not if we're not pushing you know, things forward, I think we're not doing what Star Trek is supposed to be doing. And I think the thing that I like, I do like, um, is that we are considering different ways of doing it. And that's the thing, like, I think we, as a fan base, perhaps we have gotten stuck in our ways, so to speak, with what we expect from Star Trek. And, And Discovery does that, like, it makes us really think, like, Mm, this can be Star Trek too. Even if you don't like it, this can still be Star Trek. But I think we're we're pushing in different areas, like with the tech, for example, with the um, with the exploration stuff. But I think the interpersonal, societal, human stuff maybe that's kind of lacking a little bit, um, due in part to such a focus on one particular character over the others. We're not giving. We're not getting as much of a character growth, um, character development type of thing like we probably did or definitely did with other iterations of Star Trek. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. Um, I I did enjoy to an extent um, seeing like a different take on Pike. That worked for me, um, especially since we got. Pike for like what one and a half episodes originally I mean like we had the original pilot which was canned right and then we had um, yeah, the two part the two part episode the menagerie right which was just which is essentially reused footage from that original pilot um, so it was good that we got to see Pike 
Um, I think part of it, like Jeffrey Hunter was like a really good actor, but there was like, like again, the special sauce was just kind of missing for, for that. You know, it's interesting because if you watch those that like um, the cage, the original Mm -hmm. pilot with Captain Pike that didn't that got. They decided they didn't well they didn't want to pick it up but they weren't willing to just scrap the whole project and pass and then you watch where no man has gone before mm-hmm. the, the pilot episode they made i think the cage is a better episode of television just like i forget the special sauce like the cage is like as a story works better for me than where no man has gone before yeah i think the cage like if we're gonna like if we're gonna like compare those two the cage for me, um, and like you too, like it was more digestible than uh, where No Man Has Gone Before. Like I feel like that one was just kind of belabored, um, like with like Spock's account account of it, um, and kind of how they kind of had to like shoehorn that that stuff in to make the episode work. Um, but from a from a charisma standpoint, I think. Anson Mount nails it. Like he is a very charismatic um, version of Captain Pike, and that a hundred percent worked for me. Hundred percent worked for me. And I didn't, I didn't really care about Discovery. Like I'm not like invested in it. Like I have like with other uh, other shows in Star Trek. But man, he was like the anchor for me to like really come back and really care about watching Star Trek Discovery. Um, I collect the uh, the Star Trek uniforms, and I was like, you know, maybe I'm okay getting a Discovery Enterprise-era uniform now, or even a Discovery-era uniform now, just because of Anson Mount's portrayal of Captain Pike. So he 100% worked. 100% oh, yeah. worked. I, I think he worked, too. I mean, Anson Mount is a fantastic actor. If you, if you like Anson Mount, go and watch... Uh, a television show called Hell on Wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on AMC. It's like about the building of the Transcontinental Railroad. He's the main character there. Um, and Colin Meany, uh, you know, Chief O'Brien, is also one of the main characters of that show. It's good to know. It's good to know. Um, anything else that worked for you? Worth, uh, worth noting, Eric? Yeah. What worked for me is Saru. I think Saru is definitely the the best character so far for me through seasons one and two. I I've really enjoyed his growth as a character. He's he was he's other than Michael Burnham, he was the only character that was in every episode of seasons one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you see where he is in the pilot of the Vulcan Hello, where he is just scared of everything. He doesn't want to do anything. He's like, Kelpians are scared of everything. And then you see him in Context is for Kings. He's like, he says to Michael Burnham, he's like, you were a very good officer until you weren't. And it was an honor to serve with you until it wasn't. And he's like, Captain Lorca is not a man who's afraid of the things that normal people are. Mm -hmm. But as a Kelpian, I understand fear and you are somebody to be feared, Michael. And I and that dynamic that they had there at the beginning and all through season one, I think, this good dynamic, the push and pull between Michael and Saru really did work for me. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then in season two, um 
we start to see a more assertive Saru after he goes through his Vaharai and survives it and he no longer has his threat ganglia and and he's much more assertive and you see this budding captain in him and then eventually later on mm-hmm. blah, 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 whatever blah 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 yeah whatever happens <laughs> later on there's right? stuff that and, happens and and i i enjoy that character development of saru through these first two seasons yeah trying to think of um another standout moment um or, or moment that i just liked um you and i we've talked about this at different points on different episodes that we've recorded together um i like knowing who my people are and that that was kind of like the thing about um season one i'll just say it right now that was something that didn't work for me i didn't know who they were but the thing that did work for me in season two was doing a roll call and and finally he's like sound off (laughs) tell me who you are and what you do (laughs) so that was nice like okay i at least stand a chance of knowing your name now um since it's actually being deliberately stated for once i I called i called her her robot lady uh pilot lady with the thing on her head (laughs) (laughs) That was what I was calling them. I had no idea what their names were. Right. Right. All right. Well, let's um, let's just take a few more minutes and maybe talk a little about some stuff that didn't work. And I've already named one of mine. And that was, I don't know who these people are um, for most of the show until that. And then it wasn't even really revisited much. It was just like, okay, I hope you got it because this is all we're doing for right now. So, okay, I'm, I'm going to talk about the Mirror Universe Kay. because this is, this is something that we need to talk about. We would be remiss if we didn't. Okay, so we have the episode Mirror Mirror from the original series, which introduces the Mirror Universe, which is a fantastic episode. I really enjoyed that episode. And then we have this episode, this two-part episode in Enterprise, in a mirror darkly, which is just completely set in the mirror universe, which is also a really good episode. I really like that episode where we revisit first contact mm-hmm. and James Cromwell, mm-hmm. and then they shoots the Vulcan go on the storm, the ship. And then it's just really fun. You can tell all the actors were having fun playing that role. And then, you know, deep space nine went, kept going back to the mirror universe and it went to the well one or too many times in my opinion I think there are like 9 or 10 um, Mirror Universe episodes in 7 seasons and it's and they don't even get to the Mirror Universe to the end of season 2 so it's basically like 9 or 10 episodes in in 5 seasons right so like 2 times a season okay but they only went over there for brief brief jaunts and then came back sure and there's this there's this episode where um, Smiley, which is Chief O'Brien, that's what Chief O'Brien is called in the Mirror Universe. He comes over with Cisco's with Cisco's wife Jennifer, not not Cassidy, but Jennifer, who's alive. Who you know, he's Jake's mom and who's dead in our universe, but she's alive over in the Mirror Universe. And basically, they kidnap Jake, and to try to get Cisco to come over to the Mirror Universe, because. The they've the rebels over there have taken Terok Nor, 
but the alliance, the Klingon Cardassian alliance, is going to come and try and retake the station. And they need Cisco's help to build their own version of the Defiant in the Mirror Universe. Do you remember this episode? Yeah, yeah. I'm tracking okay. And And Cisco's like, you should have just asked for my help, and I would have helped you. You didn't have to kidnap my son. But I'm going to help you. And he helps them build the Defiant. He helps them fight off the the attack from the Alliance. And it's one episode, and then he goes back. And that episode is in season four. Mm-hmm. And in season four, there's not a lot that's happening so far, right? We have the start of the Klingon story where yeah. the Klingons kind of invaded Cardassia, but that's, there's not really like anything big going on in Deep Space Nine at that point. So when we go over the, for one little jaunt, it's okay. And it's a nice episode. It's a nice self-contained episode. But imagine, imagine just for a moment, if that episode happened at the be- during season six or season seven of um, Deep Space Nine. And imagine it wasn't one episode, but it was 10 episodes. Like, I know we're only in the Mirror Universe for four episodes in Discovery, but it's four out of 15, right? It's almost a third of it. So imagine in a 26-episode season, if we're over in the Mirror Universe for 10 episodes, and imagine that that's right during the middle of the Dominion War. Yeah. And then imagine when he finally comes back, he doesn't come back to the moment in time he left, but he comes back a year later, and the war is basically over. How much would that be an awful storytelling device? It would be awful. It would be terrible, and people would have hated it. And they would have been right, because it would have been terrible. So for me, (laughs) this decision to go in the middle of this Klingon war, which is what for over a year, over a year, we were told that Discovery was going to tell us the story of the Federation war with the Klingon Empire. But it is not, that is not what season one is about. Season one is about a coup attempt in the Mirror Universe. And it's obvious that that's what it was designed to be from the beginning. So I don't like being lied to. And I don't like this this decision to go over to the Mirror Universe and bypass what's happening here in our universe. Because I have spent 20, 25 years of my life invested in learning what's happening with the Federation. I don't want you to yada 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 your way through the Federation war with the Klingon Empire just so you can tell me about a coup attempt in the Mirror Universe. That's not where I've invested my time and my emotions, and I think this is a terrible decision. And whew, I've never told anyone that before. You feel better. I've, I've had that building up for for several years, yep. and it could have been worse. I toned it down from how I practiced that rant. <laughs> yeah, a little little catharsis right there, my man. It's a terrible decision, I, and I I refuse to even listen to anyone who says it's not a terrible decision, because think about that 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 parallel story of Cisco being taken away for ten episodes in the middle of the Dominion War. That would have been awful. 
right there was yeah watching watching deep space nine like you really see a lot of development take place in the dominion war like the lead up to like just before and throughout the dominion war like with his leadership and everything and how he was so vital to the success of of deep space nine both with winning the war but also even reclaiming deep space nine spoilers um so yeah like if we look at that parallel yeah like the discovery could have done played some part and there could have been some great development that could have taken place had they not gone you're right that would have been craptastic uh when you when you look at it that way so um what do i want to say what do i want to say what do i want to say say? okay i'm not going to be a tease anymore about what i would probably been talking about so consider this like an appetizer for any future engage episodes we do um i don't like the fact that we're um I'm crossing the streams on this one. That we've basically in season two, you know, we get Culber back, and they they do like their Stranger Things bit. They go to the mycelial network world land, um, and they're talking like the mycelial spore beings are basically talking about how you're hurting us and please stop, and all this other stuff that's they're kind of communicating while everyone has beamed over to this alternate world and where the discovery's like half in, half out type of thing. And we're kind of at that point where it's like, please stop hurting us, please stop doing it. Okay, we'll stop we'll stop doing all the spore stuff. Did we forget about that? Like I know we're talking about season one and season two right now, but like where we're at in season three at the time of this recording, we're talking about how this is a new form of travel for a, a, um, an incapacitated Starfleet. Have we forgotten our own history of promising, you know, uh, essentially a sentient being that we will stop hurting them? Yeah, it's it's strange because Stamets, like, every time he jumped, they were talking about, like, it was causing him really, really bad, like, physical health problems. He was basically dying. He went insane. Mm-hmm. And and now they've just like washed their hands of that. He could just jump into it whenever, and they can hop, skip, and, and jump wherever they want. And he's all nonchalant about like, "Hey, can I can I go do my thing now?" Yeah, like, can I just jump in there? And like, I was I'm wondering if if that all of the problems that were caught co- that was being caused to Stamets as he was doing this, um, were because of his mirror universe counterpart and the device they created to power the the imperial flagship and once they blew that up a lot of the problems like no longer existed i'm wondering if maybe that's that's something i mean it's possible but like that's that's an issue that i'm having like maybe after the fact like again we're we're talking about season 1 and 2 as a means of you know like kind of understanding like the, the overarching storylines of the of the seasons that we've seen so far in terms of like how that is impacting season three as we're watching Star Trek Discovery. So um, I just I want to put that in context of like why I'm bringing this up 
because like it's not just to, it's not just to recap two seasons it's to talk about how it impacts the context of the story that we're experiencing right now at the time of this recording right and, because we're talking about the spore drive as being essential to the future of the federation right and why would we what's the trade-off like what's the trade-off of being able to explore if we're killing another sentient life form and and to that point there that that brings me to something that i also want to bring up that was really important that is one of my dislikes of or things that didn't work um so we discovered the tardigrade on board the 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 sister ship the glen mm-hmm. right because there were two ships that were building the spore drive um so they could do the work faster um and eventually at first we just think it's a monster it's just a killer and Lorco wants to capture the tardigrade to use it to help him fight a war. And then we learn that it has this connection to the mycelial network. And then they take this being, which is sentient, this tardigrade. It's a sentient living being. It, they're like, they're do, they run some tests on it, and it, this is an intelligent being. And they, ha- they just stick it in the spore drive, and they drive these spikes through the side of it, and they force it to be the navigator for this ship and at one point like michael burnham is figuring out that this is harmful to the to the tardigrade and she goes to to dr colber and like hey i want you as a medical officer to back me up on that this is being harmful to the tardigrade and then we'll go to stamets and then they do that they go to stamets and stamets is like okay i agree with you this is harmful for for the tardigrade and we should stop doing this but then then this is the episode where captain Lorca is taken hostage by the klingons and they like we need to use the spore drive to go rescue the captain and um they go to saru and they say we can't use the spore drive like this tardigrade is, is, is a living creature that we are hurting and saru's like i don't care if this is hurting the tardigrade you better make that spore drive operational. And I'm like, really? Really? Like you Saru, you were the science you were a science officer before you became the first officer. You're saying you don't care about this living being? And then and then Admiral Admiral Cornwell. 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 Cor- Cornwall? Cornwell? Yeah, Cornwell. Okay, Cornwall. She says when they when they get the spore drive operational, when they first find the tardigrade, she's saying we need to be out there looking for more tardigrades so we can find them and plug them in and get this spore drive working in other ships. And this is an admiral from Starfleet saying, we need to find more living beings so we can use them to unwillingly to plug them into our ships to operate our spore drives. Right. And I'm like, this is not the Federation, okay? This is not the Federation that I know. This is not how they behave. Even I, rogue admirals have better sense. And and I get that this is this season one tries to do this whole, you know, we're at war and in war we have to put our morals aside and we have to yeah. do things that we wouldn't we wouldn't normally do, which I like that, you know, that philosophical discussion. It's been overdone, but season one does this a lot of like you know, I even think they even literally come out and say it in the very end 
Like, we don't have the luxury of be having morals. And Michael Burnham's like, that's all we have. Which brings me to my next, what doesn't work for me? Okay. Like, I, I'm not done with this. Okay. I, 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 well, I, I want to get, but I just want to want to back this up with something. Um, You know that I love me some Voyager. I am a big Voyager True story. fan. Outside, outside of Deep Space Nine, Voyager is my favorite Star Trek. Um, And we did Best of Picard. If we ever do Best of Janeway, spoiler alert, the number one episode, Best of Janeway, is a two-part episode called Equinox. Do you know what this episode is? Mm-hmm. Right, season five finale, season mm-hmm. six premiere, mm-hmm. where another Federation ship is trapped in the Delta Quadrant, and they find these extra-dimensional aliens, and they capture these aliens, and they discover it can power their engines, and they can go super fast, and they're doing this they're you they're they and they decide we're going home we're gonna lure these aliens we're gonna capture them we're gonna plug them into our our engine and we're gonna go really fast we're gonna get home and then when Janeway figures out what they're doing Janeway loses her shit (laughs) like like she loses it like she is like this is an affront to everything that the Federation is about. We do not experiment on living, intelligent, sentient beings. And you should be ashamed of yourself for even considering doing this. And and when you listen to that episode, you're like, yeah, Janeway, you're absolutely right. These people should be ashamed of themselves for doing this. And now here we have in Discovery, we have people who are doing what what we've shamed this other crew for doing Absolutely. and start and starfleet admirals are saying we need to do more of this yeah and it really doesn't sit well with me at all no and it, like this is not the federation that i know and love right and we and we continue and you know like we brought it up just a second ago and we keep doing it with stamets we keep doing i mean like we're not I mean, yes, we we stuck him like with needles and stuff in the same way that we did with the tardigrade, you know, to with with how it was done at the time. But like, you know, it's messing him up. It is messing him up. Like the tardigrade's getting hurt. Stamets is getting hurt. And we have selective amnesia when it comes from like one season to the next. Like continuity is like within discovery does not work for me. And like that wasn't even originally on my list, it just kind of popped up, but like you know, we've established something in one season, but the next one it's like let's retcon that. Right? Um case in point with Stamets and in season you know, 1, a little bit in 2 and definitely in 3. Okay? Um with the mycelial network and the spore drive in season one and definitely season two right like you're hurting us stop it and now it's like the best things in sliced bread and the thing that's going to save the federation but hey to heck with with harming these these critters to heck with it so the whole selective amnesia is something that is just something that pops up that i just i'm not digging and um I always have such high hopes for Michael Burnham, but she just does not work for me. No, no. 
She does not work for me. I think, I think the thing that every character in Star Trek um, has is that you're supposed to, in some form or fashion, um, um, demonstrate, be a model for the best in humanity, like the thing that we're striving to be, to become type of thing. And I think, I think that's a hallmark of what we've experienced with Star Trek up to this point. And I don't want to see a 21st century person in this future or far future. I want something to strive towards. And I don't like, I know you're going to mess up, but mess up less. And just like her characterization, her, her values, her values are, are very, are very dodgy. They're very dodgy. They're not consistent. Um, her characterization, her, she, it's, he's all over the place. She's so self-righteous and so, um, like holier than thou, meaning she thinks everything she does is the right thing to do. And how dare you ever disagree with her because she's always right. And I don't like that. I don't think that comes across very well, like now or in the future in Star Trek. Um, and she doesn't respect the chain of command. She has zero respect for the chain of command. She's the type of person who would rather say, I would rather ask forgiveness than ask for permission, which I think that's a terrible way to live life. Like I, I know people subscribe to that way of thinking, but I don't, I don't agree with it. And she, like, whenever she disagrees, she's always like, no, we can't do that. You can't do that. You have to do something different. Whereas you see, like, Data said, when he doesn't agree with something, Data's like, might I suggest we try something different? Right. And he's very respectful of the chain of command. And Michael Burnham has no respect for the chain of command whatsoever. I can count on one finger the number of times that I've asked for forgiveness instead of permission. <laughs> <laughs> And, and and I think we're still dealing with that problem with Michael Burnham in season three. Like, if you watch um, the most recent episode of Discovery, or the episode Scavengers, right? Mm -hmm. We're still seeing this problem with her. Yep. And y'all make sure that you, you stay tuned and, you know, that you've watched that episode, that you listen to our reaction um, if you haven't already, depending on the order in which you're listening to, to the, this episode and that engage episode, because um, we've we've definitely had, got, do have opinions on this episode, and you'll be hearing about that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I just I just think I just I don't think she's a good enough main character to focus every single storyline around her. No. No, and no. I think that if... It's okay. I mean, like... You have all these shows as a model, right? For how you can have a main person, so to speak, but them not always be the main focus. I mean, let's be honest. Shatner, he's the main dude in Star Trek. Picard, he's the main dude in Next Gen. Janeway, 
main person, but it's an ensemble cast, and they all get their time to shine and, 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 and have that development. I know we've had this discussion um, between us and with David. Um, how much of that is we have a 13-episode season as opposed to a 26-episode season? Where in 26 episodes, there's more time to, to highlight the other characters as opposed to in 13 episodes, you just don't have that time. I think, I, I really think that it is like the number of episodes, but I also think it's it's the blessing and the curse of serialization. It's, you know, I think Gene Roddenberry has, has gone on record back in the day, of course, you know, bless his soul, he's not with us anymore. Um, but Gene had talked about how he wanted episodic, an episodic series, but uh, with a, uh, an overarching connected serialized story, essentially, if I'm saying that right. Well, well, I think what Gene Roddenberry said is he wanted to create a show where you could literally watch it in any order you wanted. You could pick a random episode and watch it and then pick another random episode and you would have absolutely no issues following and watching the story. And he was also concerned about, like, what if we have a dud? Like a dud of a story. It's not going to bite us in the rear end like a connected serialized story would. Now, if where somebody if somebody doesn't like your serialized story, then the whole season is just wasted. Right. Right. And you know, I know that there there are different opinions on that, and I'm I can get on the bandwagon of like some serialized stories, but not all. I'm more of an episodic guy. And that's not just with Star Trek. That's like with just TV in general. I prefer episodic episodes or episodic television, episodic series, really, um, where it's still connected like loosely to a grand story like that connects the things together without it being directly connected. So uh, anyone confused yet? No, I got it. It's like it's like Law and Order. Um, I, I'm specifically I'm gonna speak to like SVU mm-hmm. or or NCIS. Mm-hmm. Like it's this procedural show, but then they'll put little bits in each episode, little moments that will tie in from each ep- into each episode. So each episode is just its own thing, but then you get these character moments that they might mention from episode to episode. Like for instance, yeah, that's a good point. Like with Law and Order SVU, for example. Like season six, that's kind of where I'm at right now with it. Stabler, for anyone that like that watches the show, amazing character. I love Stabler. Stabler. Benson Stabler, great. The whole I love the whole cast, but Stabler, for example, I'm at the point in the story where, um, you know, he's found out fairly recently that his wife is like leaving him, wants a divorce, and you know, going through that whole thing. And you hear about that, like you see, you see what's going on. And why and what's drive and you find out that that's the thing that's like driving his like frustration, um, essentially like in in season six, most of season six, and you get these sprinklings of how like this divorce, this separation, is impacting his relationship with his kids and seeing his kids coming and visiting him in the squad room and all those stuff. So yeah, it, it's the same idea essentially. And don't tell me what happens because I don't know because I'm not I'm I'm almost done with season six. But um, anyway, that yeah, that's the same. That's the general idea, and kind of how that 
kind of speaks to kind of parallels kind of what we're talking about with in this in this case Star Trek now I will say this that we've talked about loosely season one season two what works for us what doesn't work for us okay I have said this numerous times Eric has said this also in his own way this isn't the Star Trek that I go to when I'm having a crappy day this is not my Star Trek like it is Star Trek not my Star Trek okay everyone has their own Trek people felt about next gen the way some people now feel about discovery that's a true story that's true that is a hundred percent true story like people did not like Deep Space Nine when it first started because it was radically different than the original series and the next generation Mm-hmm. And now Discovery is radically different than the Star Trek we've grown to love. Mm-hmm. But, like, Deep Space Nine has, like, over time, its reputation has only grown. Mm-hmm. And now it's just, like, a cherished series. There's still people that don't like it, but it, it it is, like, a cherished series in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, and... One thing that I like about what's going on presently, so like bringing it back to the present with the here and now, season three is not perfect of Discovery. So from so far from what we've seen, you know, at the time of this recording, we're a little over halfway through with the third season, and it's not a perfect one, but it's a it's a major improvement in my book um, over the over, first over two season, seasons. Over season one, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um. I, I've, I think that there's still a lot of potential for Star Trek Discovery um, Season 3, and there's been an announcement there's going to be a Season 4 as well. So, and, and, and this is what happens with Star Trek. This is the, the thing that everyone subscribes to is it takes a couple of seasons to find its way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I understand lots of, lots of shows take some time to find their way, and Discovery is trying to find itself like in this modern era of television where you can't really make you know standalone television anymore because television has become so serialized in the past 15 years mm-hmm. with the advent of like lost and mad men and the sopranos and game of thrones and all of those things it's just become so serialized and episodic television just doesn't fit into that because people will it's like the worst thing ever people will label your episode filler right <laughs> if it doesn't like extend this the plot line like uh, all all the all the way you know and star trek is trying to find its way in this new era of television of being serialized and it had a lot of pushback at the beginning from that's not what people mm-hmm. were expecting or were used to and mm-hmm. people don't like change yeah People do not like change at all. And and I also think that one of the problems that Discovery have is people feel nostalgic about Star Trek. We opened this episode by talking about nostalgia going back to the late 90s. People, when you watch the original series or when you watch The Next Generation, there is a certain sense of nostalgia looking back at these great times. And nostalgia is a weird emotion mm-hmm. it makes you like only highlight the strengths of things and it makes you forget about the flaws of certain things and 
Star Trek has its flaws going all the way back. It it I as much as I love it, I know that it has flaws. Mm-hmm. Like just like the woman that you love or the man that you the whomever that you love, they that person has flaws that but you tend to overlook them. My wife is perfect. She has zero <laughs> flaws. But but when <laughs> I think when people look at Star Trek Discovery, they don't feel nostalgia for it. And they're like, this doesn't make me nostalgic for my childhood or growing up. Well, of course it doesn't make you nostalgic. It's it's happening right now. Literally. Like, <laughs> I mean, literally. So, like, I literally, when I see, when I go to IMDb, which is like the greatest place and the worst place ever, and people just say, <laughs> I have no nostalgia for Discovery. Well, of course you have no nostalgia for Discovery. Like, that literally defeats the definition of nostalgia. Oh, lordy. Lordy, lordy, lordy. I, um, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm looking something up real quick. Um, if it'll if it'll cooperate with me, of course. Um, is it gonna work? So I don't know if I'm looking at this properly, but Star Trek Discovery, according to Rotten Tomatoes, has an average audience score of 44%, with an average tomato meter of 85%. I don't know if that's overall. Or if that is just for one particular season. That is very harsh, giving it a 44%. Okay. Like on, on IMDb, the Star Trek Discovery has an overall rating of 7.3 out of 10. Okay. Okay, so let me take let me dial it back just a second. So season one, audience score of 50%, tomato meter, so meaning critics... Um, 82%. That's season one. Season. That's a little high. That's a little high. Season two. No, I don't want that. Okay. And then uh, with Star Trek Discovery season two, audience score 36%. Tomato. Yeah, wait, it went down? Went in down. Season two? Yeah. That's. Wow. That's wild to me, actually. Yeah, because season two is markedly better than season one, in my opinion. 100%. Tomato meter, 81%. Yeah, that's about the same for yep. critics. Okay, and as of right now, with Star Trek Discovery season three, we're at 49% audience and 93% tomato. Tomato okay, meter. That, 90, that 93 is a little high. I think the audience score is a little low. Oh yeah, forty-nine percent for season three—that's way too low. Right. I would expect this to be in at least, at least the sixties, like high sixties, oh. low seventies. Oh. But but like when you when people go out and rate things, like if you go to IMDb, like I know you're at Rotten Tomatoes, but if you go to IMDb, it seems like there's only three ratings that people are willing to give to an episode: a ten, a one, or a five. Hmm. Like so you see almost nothing in between. People are like, this is a 10. It's the greatest thing ever. I don't know what all you people are thinking. Uh, people will give it a 1. They'll be like, this is the worst thing ever. It's a complete dumpster fire. How can anybody like this? Or people will give it a 5. And they'll be like, meh. <laughs> but, like, where is, like, the nuance in these episodes? Rating something, like, 
we, when we do our engage, we give each episode a rating, and mm-hmm. we're not just seven, eight, nine. We're seven point two five or seven point six or right. something like that. Right. Where's the nuance to people's ratings? People forgot about decimals. They need you, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even need decimals. Just there's something in between a <laughs> one and a ten. Sure. Other than just a five. Right. Oh man. Well, there. I'm sure there's a lot more that we could say and and like talk about. Section thirty-one. We didn't even mention. No. <laughs> but that is but a that, thing. That would that would that would like make this episode be a lot longer. Yeah, we're. I, I'll put that in my dislike category, just as a broad. I, w- <laughs> I would too. I will too. Uh, that ju- that just did not work for me, and it's not that them being around is a thing that didn't work for me. It's, it's how they used them. Yes. That's it. I don't mind Section 31, generally speaking. It's their use in the show that I'm not cool with. Not cool. It didn't work. I'm your official Section 31 representative on this ship. Well, gee willikers, nice to meet you. Wait, wait, what? What? <laughs> that makes no sense whatsoever. I'm your official Section 31 representative on this ship, and I have a special black badge, so everyone will know I'm Section 31. Anyway. Anyway. Well, I think I think that's it in terms of, of Discovery season one and two. We've taught we've spoken um, generally, we've spoken broadly, you know, about it. Um, kind of taking some time to talk about things that worked and didn't work. Um, and although this is not like my trek, like just like I have a doctor in Doctor Who, and that's the tenth doctor, that's David Tennant. Just like I have a doctor in Doctor Who, and some people are like, oh, it's, it's Matt Smith or Peter Capaldi for 11 and 12, or you know Tom Baker for number four. You, you know, it's okay to have your own doctor, and it's okay to have your own Star Trek. Like, you have, have your, like a Star Trek that really re- resonates with you. So I recognize, and I've said this before, I'm a broken record, but I recognize, dear listener, that this could be your entry into Trek. This could be your Star Trek, and you're... And- and welcome, 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 we welcome to the family. Like I, we are not gatekeepers here. No, we are not going to. We are not going to look down on you for if this is your thing that you love and enjoy, and this is your favorite. Like, if this is your favorite, let it be your favorite, and that's perfectly fine. Don't ever let anyone tell you that that's wrong. And you know, my favorite has been. Uh, next gen I make uh, that's not a secret at all I have gone on record in the past of saying like how god awful boring and how much I can't stand Deep Space Nine but I tell you what Deep Space Nine is probably my number one if not my number two Star Trek show I love that show now sooner sooner or later Deep Space Nine will pull you in it will it will pull you in like a black hole (laughs) so whether it, 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 I hope, I hope that whoever's out there, um, I hope you can appreciate just kind of like where we're coming from, um, and and how like we wanted to talk about this just to be able to connect it to kind of like what we're seeing and what we're experiencing now. There's there's a lot of nuance that we didn't talk about just because it's just it's not that it's filler, it's just that it's nuanced stuff um, that just kind of happens. And um, we can't we can't dive into all of it in one podcast. No. Unless you want this to be like a 16-hour podcast. Forget that, man. Yeah. Nope. Nope. <laughs> That's like engage already. <laughs> yeah, we already do that. 
<laughs> so um, I hope that all y'all out there have been able to enjoy this and, you know, take what we're saying. And if you enjoyed Discovery, just bracket what we're saying, right? Like, just kind of like take what we're saying, just kind of like leave it over here and then just still enjoy your thing. It's okay. Um, with that, um, you know, make sure that you're checking out Engage. Um, we're still continuing on with like the weekly thing. We've been kind of um, having to play like kind of catch up in a way, like with both the regular show and with our Engage, just because of things that have happened with my schedule with um, comprehensive exams and just life in general and also working with the schedules of the gents of um, Commander Eric and Commander David um, just making that all jive uh, and stuff so we should be on on track still um, with ever with episodes we have some great stuff um, um, in store for the show um, here in the coming months. So I um, hope you'll enjoy that and what we have coming. We're going to be doing more book stuff. Uh, David and I are going to be doing some more book stuff um, in terms of like Star Trek novels and stuff like that. So just um, keep an eye out for that. And I do want to um, just say, go ahead and just say it right now to thank you to our patrons uh, for financially supporting the show. And thank you to all of you that listen, that download this on whatever podcast platform you use whether that's you know that's apple that's spotify that's podbean it's google whatever um thank you for um for listening to this show and supporting the show that way um eric always a pleasure having you my dude talking trek it's always great to be here yeah man so um with that um everyone thank you for listening um, let us know what you think, um, what, what your impressions have been about um, these first two seasons of Star Trek Discovery and how that may be impacting your viewing experience with the current season that's airing right now at the time of this recording. Um, you can let us know what you think, share your thoughts, your opinions, your suggestions uh, with us. Um, make sure you go to our website, trtvpod.com, and check out the Hailing Frequencies tab. And um, there's a drop-down menu and a text box and some other cool stuff that you can do to get in contact with us. And um, apart from that, if you just want to, you know, send us an email, you can do that. You can do that by entering coordinates to trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. There's a three-minute time limit, so remember to uh, be brief and stuff. Don't don't serialize your, your voice transmission <laughs> you like that <laughs> and um anyways with that um your comments may be used on a future episode of these are the voyages and uh, finally if you just want to send us something you know like a tardigrade uh new uniform a skirt for commander eric to wear or run around in you can do that mail it to the lone star station at p.o box 2455 azel texas 76098 y'all thank you uh, again i've thanked you probably 16 times already but thank you so much for listening and um as always may you remember to boldly go and make it so <laughs>